This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. This is the Informer Daily for Tuesday, the 2nd of June, 2020. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today, while we're all working from home, there's a couple of times that we're going to need to catch up. And so today, the Informer Daily team are bringing you one of our favorite interviews from the past couple of months. It's Lauren Rosewarn speaking about, yes, sex robots. You know, in terms of that often used cliche, what a time to be alive. <laughs> Nonetheless, what a time to be alive that you can have. You know, it's almost like if you can imagine it now, it's out there in some shape or form. But first, this bulletin. This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 update for Tuesday the 2nd of June. The global death toll from COVID-19 has passed 373,000, while there are now more than 6.2 million officially documented cases of the disease. Over 1.8 million of these cases are in the US. There are fears this number could rise rapidly due to mass protests over the killing of unarmed black man George Floyd by the police. Protesters are being asked to wear masks and practice good hygiene to minimise the risk of getting and spreading the disease. A 30-year-old Blackwater man, Nathan Turner, who was reported to be Australia's youngest COVID-19 death, did not have the disease. The positive test result he returned after his death came from a contaminated sample, which explains why the testing blitz in Blackwater following his death turned up no positive results. Nathan Turner's true cause of death remains unknown and Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk has apologised to his family. Blood taken for pathology tests and donations will be used to measure Australia's hidden rate of COVID-19 infections. Experts say the official tally could potentially be missing thousands of cases. Due to the anonymised nature of the testing, people who get their blood tested for the disease will never find out, even if their tests return a positive result. The first tests are set to begin in New South Wales using blood donated to Red Cross Lifeblood. Testing will be led by the Kirby Institute. As restrictions are beginning to ease across Australia, people are being asked to consider holidaying in their home state to boost local economies. Queensland and Western Australia have kicked off advertising campaigns to convince people to travel into regional areas, and many residents appear keen to do so given early reports of mass bookings. However, social distancing rules should still be adhered to in order to keep regional communities safe. Tourists are being asked to keep up strict hygiene practices and to call ahead before going to various venues. Ten new cases of COVID-19 have been reported in Victoria, including four from a cluster at Ridges Hotel, where some people have been sent for mandatory quarantine. People still in quarantine at the hotel have now been moved to another site. A teacher at McLeod Preschool and a nurse at an aged care home in Reservoir have also tested positive, prompting both facilities to be closed for cleaning. All close contacts with new cases have been asked to self-isolate for the next two weeks.
This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. As I mentioned, while we're all working from home, sometimes we're going to need a day or two to catch up. Today is one of those days, so we're bringing you one of our favorite interviews. This is Lauren Rosewarn speaking to me in April. As technology advances, there are more and more ways that robotics and sex are coming together unintended. I spoke with Dr. Lauren Rosewarn, who's a senior lecturer in political science at the University of Melbourne, about her interest in robotic sexuality and media. We start off by talking about her work. You've got a really interesting research focus. What can you tell me about it? Okay, so my research is like, it's a, how do I... <laughs> How do I draw it all together in a sentence? I look at the intersection between media and how media narrates our experiences of the world. And there tends to be a focus there on topics that we get an informal education from the media about. So, you know, topics, um, sex-based or or body-based topics where our understanding of these topics comes from uh, film and television rather than formal education settings. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, can you give uh, an obvious example of that? So, Yeah, I wrote a book about masturbation and masturbation is a good example where school education on that topic is relatively slim. Uh, you're not getting anything detailed and it's not really, uh, you know, it's not, sex education mostly is a focus on how not to get pregnant and how not to get diseases. And yet film and television has lots of different references to masturbation. And so we piece together our understanding of it through entertainment media where it doesn't actually feel like an uncomfortable sex education setting. Rather, we're watching something we enjoy. Mm. So where does your interest in robotics tie in with this? So last year I was thinking about, uh, I'd read an article about uh, broth- robot brothels in Europe. And it was a particular article that was looking at Texas and uh, Houston particularly who had refused to allow a license for a robot brothel. And there, there, there were a few in Europe. Spain, I think, had a couple. Anyway, the article was uh, a news report and it, it, it triggered something in my brain because I'd written about sex work previously and it's a topic of interest for me. As it turns out, there's a, a sort of smallish but nonetheless loud uh, a group of feminists who are strongly opposed to robot brothels and who, uh, for what it, you know, a, a complicated set of reasons, are opposing them. And this got me thinking about this idea of what, why are radical feminists interested in robot brothels? And how does this narrate my experience around or, 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 or used, how does this use as a sort of talking point for my interest in, in the topic of sex work as well as the mm-hmm. politics around it? And I guess that sort of had me thinking about um, these robot brothels and more broadly sex robots yeah. as... I get, you know, are they a human replacement? You know, all those questions that we have about robots. Mm. But why? Uh, it was really the central question: Why do radical feminists care? And that was really what led to an article yep. I had published in, or an essay published in the Engine last year. If we go back to robot brothels, mm. um, why was one denied in Houston? Pop- 
population there was not willing. I mean, if you think about the landscape generally in the United States regarding sex work, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much just Nevada that's allowing any kind of brothels anyway. You know, most of the sex work that happens in the U.S. is um, escorts, you know, so-called escort work, which is yeah. not supposed to be paid sex but ends up being paid sex. And it's quite sort of underground-ish, which makes, I would argue, workers more vulnerable. Mm. So in this case, the argument was, well, there are no you know, it's not paid intercourse, um, but anyway, in in the, in the sort of civil ordinance um, rules, people in Houston were simply opposed to the idea of having a brothel in town, regardless of whether it's staffed by women or staffed by robots. What does the rise of sex robots mean for the LGBTIQA plus community? Look, I think it creates some interesting opportunity. I think about that and how I think about uh, new technology in general. So a few years ago, I wrote a book on intimacy in the internet and the the impact that um, things like online connections have had in terms of uh, relationships in general. And I had a chapter there that was exploring uh, the LGBTI community and how the internet now is generally instrumental in the journey of coming out you know a lot of people will have their first sexual experiences not necessarily in a um you know cyber chat type of way but through pornography and through other kinds of of communicating with other people that they may not meet in real life that the internet really helps facilitate that journey no one anymore or I shouldn't say, there will be very few people left anymore who have that feeling of I'm the only gay or I'm the only trans person or I'm the only anything anymore because the internet allows you to see you're not on your own. And that's, you know, we can't underestimate the value of that. And I guess if I think about that type of journey in terms of identity shaping and identity play, which is something I'm quite interested in, how do we do different uh, identities with the with the assistance of, of the technology that then when you think about the context of, of robotics i think creates this interesting space where uh sex becomes something to play with mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't have to involve somebody else because involving something else can for a lot of people make something real and make it something that feels quite um uh, not necessarily fixed but once I've done that, I'm that person potentially. And that also, you know, feelings are involved when other people are there. And I guess for some people, there'll be a sense that if I'm not involving another person, it's more masturbatory and it's more fantasy. And I think that this is where one of the scopes for, for robotics comes in is this idea of playing with fantasy in a very safe way and i mean safe in an, in a lot of different um a lot of different ways i think psychologically safe physically safe etc unless you go down the horror movie path where the robots you know come and get their own agendas and then kill everyone but generally safe in the sense that um you know safe in the way that uh, you don't have to negotiate boundaries in the same way that you do with another person we'll have more with dr lauren rose warren after this This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And to continue our interview with Dr. Lauren, I'd start by asking her about some of the implications for LGBTIQA plus people. What's the state of the technology now? Like, what's available on the market? (laughs) 
Yeah, look, I mean, this is, I think, like everything, you have got an enormous spectrum of products and price points. So you've got, you know, those very high tech, but we're talking in the tens of thousands of dollars, robots who are very human-like in a lot of respects, you know, Mm. who respond to touch, who um, I think are kind of heated in a way that's sort of mimicking the, the feel of flesh, you know, that they look more like a person than the old school blow-up dolls. But then you've got different kinds of products that sort of meet more. I think for most of us, we're not going out and purchasing a ten dollars or $20,000 sex robot, even if we're curious in that realm. What we might do, and something that we're already doing, is if we look at the um, development of sex toys over the years, they've mm. become more intuitive. They've become more uh, – human-like is not the right word. They've become more – even real is a loaded word, but they've certainly become fancier. <laughs> and yeah. in my process of becoming fancier, you know, the very fact, for example, if I've got a um, an, an, an alien sex fantasy, for example, there mm-hmm. is one of my very, very best sex toy I've ever come across <laughs> is a – and I just I, – I always think of it. I haven't got one because I, it's, it doesn't really play into any fantasy I've got, but I love the aesthetics of it. It's a, a, a dildo that releases eggs. Yeah. And yeah, and uh, the ovipositor, I think it's called. And I just love the fact that it's someone had that fantasy <laughs> and made it real. Yeah. And then other people have that fantasy and are buying it. And I think this is, you know, in terms of that often used cliche, what a time to be alive. <laughs> Nonetheless, <laughs> what a time to be alive that you can have, you know, it's almost like if you can imagine it now, it's out there in some shape or form. And I think yeah. that's very exciting in terms of sexuality for a lot of people because I think we've got we still have quite linear and almost binary understandings of sex in the sense that you know that that it's involving another person and that other person has to be you know into the same kinks that you are when in fact I mean robots allow you or but, you know sex toys more broadly allow you to experience sexuality separately from partnered relationships. And I think this sort of then goes back to some research I did a few years ago about the different ways that we each engage with our own sexual perversions. And very few people live it in its entirety. You know, their life is not structured around one fantasy. We tend to do it in pockets of our identity. And I think this is one of the sort of scopes for for robots and, and fancy sex toys is doing your fantasy and also having relationships with flesh and blood people and also doing other sexual things in in a kind of uh, flesh-on-flesh sense as well as the fantasy stuff that robots facilitate. Mm. And humans have been making sex toys for centuries. I was just thinking for some reason the other day about that you know wooden dildos have been found mm. in, in Greece and... <laughs> It took me a second. I was like, olive oil must come and become involved. (laughs) Yeah, but it's funny, isn't it? Because I think we all fall into this trap of thinking of some of this stuff as as new, you know, or or feeling it feels quite contemporary. When in fact, yeah, that desire for, you know, be it replicating your husband's uh, penis when he's away at sea kind of thing. Or, you know, uh, now I don't think that's necessarily what we're thinking about so much as more about experiencing the spectrum of our sexuality with props and with things Mm. that can kind of um, pad out a fantasy. And I think um, 
it's also medicine has brought some some sex toys and the one i'm really thinking about is the vibrator which um was used for you know hysterical women mm. for them to stop being hysterical but even now i mean this is something that uh in, in when i was writing the book about masturbation is you know you, you look at the old school 1800s uh, medical literature which is all about masturbation was going to make you blind give you bronchitis you name the ailment masturbation was going to cause it whereas now we look at the capacity for what does what are the how do humans benefit from orgasms that they can control you know this idea and i've done in in recent weeks because of the uh lockdown or the shutdown interviews with journalists about you know how do we deal with intimacy and well not everyone is partnered that doesn't mean intimacy is not something you can experience on your own you know this idea that relying on someone else all the time that interesting capacity for once you are able to take matters into your own hands, but Mm. also what good comes of that, you know. Uh, I think this is an interesting thing where we talk about, you know, loneliness or or, um, sex starvation in isolation, and some of this stuff is avoidable. Yeah. And I'm also thinking that it it can be really handy for people who maybe aren't partnered, have a little... Sorry. Maybe it's useful for people who are... Um, not partnered and maybe have a low sex drive or, you know, asexual, aromantic that, you know, when they have that desire, they can do that in a safe way without having to necessarily start a relationship with expectations or something. Absolutely. And when you think about that, you know, and that's often one of the report, you know, when you read uh, reasons that, you know, men purchase sex, that's often what they speak about is, you know, my partner has a has a low sex drive and I've just got these, you know, normal human natural needs and I've gone to a sex worker. And mm. I think, though, for a lot of people and certainly in, in relationships, that's going to feel like betrayal for lots of for lots of couples and that could potentially create its own uh, you know because not everybody who has sex outside of their marriage wants to end that marriage or end that relationship and i think the capacity for robots and and creative uses around you know existing toys and whatnot i think help us in this space in terms of um of options because i think that's what it's about it's options it's not about replacing anybody it's not about getting rid of the sex industry it's about creating yet another set of tools in our toolkit of surviving life and having fulfilling lives and fulfilling sex lives as well. Where do you see the future going for this? This is an interesting question. I mean, I guess in one respect, um, things that are more human, I think, has an element of, of obviousness in the sense of robots that simply have more ability to mimic people because i think that you know at the end of the day most people are going to want to have sex with another person so Mm. you'll have all of your sort of more madcap you know creative amazing different types of robots and that's great but i think trying to mimic intercourse and i think this is one of those things where um particularly during this time of of social isolation and that idea of can you replicate a relationship when distance is an issue i think this is where that comes into it in the sense of well if you have something that has some of the properties because as much as we might say um sex toys have very 
uh, ab- abilities to mimic certain kind, at least to bring about an orgasm for wanting to phrase it quickly. We can't replicate certain things like touch and being touched by another person. The technology isn't great in that space yet. Mm. And I think that's one of those things that technology will probably move towards is how do we mimic that? Because there's things like, you know, being comforted and being held by another person that at the moment at the moment robots aren't actually um, in any meaningful way filling that gap how could that gap be filled how could that sensation be purchased and i think that's an interesting uh scope for future development there mm. uh what got me interested in the subject was um reading a article about people trying to program language for sex robots and not getting stereotypical cisgendered phrasing right that it, you know the the masculine robot might say something like i'm going to go make dinner right now in a way that didn't ring true with the researchers um, right. and then it went on to talk about um you know that that might be really important for the cisgendered heterosexual community but there's also a big area to play with in customizing that personality for people who are LGBTIQA+. Yeah, I think this is one of those things where when we talk about robots, you know, in, in, uh, artificial intelligence, at the moment, robots are as only, are as only, are only as intelligent as what we input in terms of data. Mm. So that idea of, yeah, of course they're going to have some shortcomings in terms of feeling real because of things such as, you know, uh, odd phrasings and, and, and cultural insensitivities and whatnot. And I think this is one of those things where when we get to more mimicking a, a human-like experience, happen if you're purchasing a massively you know hugely expensive robot you're going to want it to perform pretty well and you're not going to want a, a you know a sexual interaction being ruined by someone saying something stupid that's a turn off for you and for me for example as someone who's really into words that would really be important for me so imagining spending time doing that you know what are the words that work for you what are the absolute never say words yep. you know, for me i don't want to hear anyone say panties for example um, i'm sure <laughs> You know, it's never going to work for me, so we can shut the shop up right now. But that idea of, um, you know, um, spending time doing that, I imagine that Mm. this is probably one of those things that if you are investing to that extent, spending time doing that would be really important. And, I mean, there's already huge levels of customizer. If you're willing to, you know, buy one of those $10,000 up sex robots, you are customizing anyway in terms of aesthetics. You know, you can pick the, you know, color of the pubic you know pick any or any nipples all of these things that you can do uh it seems not that far-fetched to think well voice and and, and oral um uh content will be important yeah and hopefully they don't ever ask you did you lock the car <laughs> <laughs> did you turn on the smoke detector or the, the alarm yet yeah, all these no, no yeah i think i think those might be nearly universal turnoffs you know <laughs> something to really take but yes you know you always hear though on the list of most things that turn people off is the word moist whereas i have no problem with moist i think it's because i bake and if you're a baker you want your cake to be moist so mm. it doesn't it's not it's not a cringe word for me in the way panties most definitely is a cringe word i don't get the problem with moist i never have but mm. 
<laughs> and there's not a good word to replace it in English. Anyway. There really, there really isn't. It's one of those because all of the ones that we could come up with are actually much more horrible. Like soggy, for example, straight away. Come, no one wants that. There's no place for that. You know, you'll be missing moist when you start thinking about what are our other options. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's Dr. Lauren Rosewarn, a senior lecturer in political science at the University of Melbourne. That's almost it for us today. We're going to be talking about what's going on in the United States and connections to Australia tomorrow on the Informer Daily, so make sure and tune in. I'd like to thank my colleagues Nicholas Kamenu-Sandry, Dee Mason, Emily Johnson, Jordan Johnstone, and Rachel Tyler-Jones. And today we're ending our broadcast with Pick Runga singing Redemption Song. I'm your host and executive producer, Arian Potts. We'll be back tomorrow. Mahalo. After they took I from the bottomless pit, but my hand was made strong by the hand of the Almighty. We forward in this generation triumphantly. Won't you help to sing? These songs of freedom Cause all I ever had Redemption song Redemption song Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery None but ourselves can free our minds have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the times How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Yes, some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing? These songs of freedom Cause all I ever had Redemption song Redemption song All I ever had Emancipate yourself from mental slavery None but ourselves can free our minds Have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the times How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look 
Yes, some say it's just a part of it. We've got to fulfill the book. Won't you help to sing? These songs of freedom, 'cause all I ever had. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast, brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.